you uh, would, open up your Bibles to Psalm 84, please. Psalm 84, beginning in verse 2. The psalmist writes, My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the shallow or the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They shall still be praising you. Selah, or pause. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. And they go from strength to strength. And each one appears before God in Zion. And then also in Psalm 142, you don't need to turn there, verse 5, the psalmist declared, I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Let's pray together. Father, we do come to you tonight, and as we were just singing, Lord, I echo that now. We ask that you would have your way here among us. And we lift up our brother Mike to you, and we ask, Lord, that you would just touch him, that you would put your healing hand upon him this evening, God. We ask that you'd give the doctors wisdom, but even more so, Lord, we pray for a miracle. We ask that you would do something that the doctors can't and that you would just completely touch him and heal him even now as we agree together as a church family. And we ask now that you would minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that phrase there in Psalm 142, there in verse 5, when he says, I cried out to you, Lord. The same echo there of Psalm 84, that heart of crying out to the Lord. And he says, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. And I, and I think the idea there is that, that, you know, in the land of the living, meaning that there's, there's no one alive, there's no human being, there's no person who can meet the need that's here in my heart. And the Lord has had me in this place lately, personally, of considering and meditating upon the desperate soul. And what's interesting as you read through the Bible and especially in the Gospels is that we see the Lord responds to and really refreshes the soul that cries out to him. You know, one of the first illustrations that we see of this in the Bible is there in Genesis chapter 32. It happens when Jacob is wrestling with God. Oh, he doesn't know it's God at the time, but he's wrestling and he's wrestling with him all night long. And, you know, this wrestling match that is going on between Jacob and, and the Lord, we know it's the Lord, but he doesn't. And the Lord's really just kind of playing with him because, you know, as it gets to become daylight and, and the Lord's like, okay, I need to go. The wrestling match is over and Jacob grabs a hold of him and is like, I am not letting go of you until you bless me. And then it happens. It's like with the pinky. God just touches his hip and boom, you know, it's out of socket and he walks with a limp the rest of his life. But that heart, that desperate heart, 
I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. Jacob holding on to the Lord. In the New Testament, we see it in the life of Jesus in several places, and one of them is Mark 5. It's a religious leader leader by the name of Jairus. And Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter who is deathly ill. So Jairus ends up laying aside his position because, you see, the religious leaders of that day, they didn't like Jesus. They weren't on Jesus' team. They weren't on his side. You know, they weren't, you know, very uh, fond of him at all. And so for Jairus to kind of link himself to Christ was committing, you know, ministerial suicide, we might say, you know, that all of his buddies were going to look down upon him. But he does that and, and he comes to Jesus. He doesn't care what his friends say. He's desperate. And he comes to him and he says, you know, my 12-year-old daughter lays at the point of death. Will you please come and touch her? And Jesus says, okay, let's go. And so they're on their way. And then there's that interruption. And you, most of you know the story. It's a woman with an issue of blood. She's been bleeding. 12 years she's had this, you know, issue and and she thinks as the crowd is pressing like always among Jesus when he's going anywhere there's a crowd and it's, you know, it's like a rock star as we would see an equivalent today, you know, as far as the crowds go. And, and so the crowds are pressing and, and she thinks if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made well, desperate. And she breaks through and she touches the hem of his garment and healing power flows forth from Jesus to the point where he stops and he's like, who touched me? And his disciples are looking at him like, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's pressing. I mean, there's probably a hundred people that have banged up against you in the last 20 yards or so. What do you mean? Who touched you? But he knows, no, healing power has just gone out of me. And this woman comes forth and Jesus has her tell her whole story, the 12 years, all the money spent on doctors, all the, the misdiagnoses, and she basically has spent everything she had on doctors. She's broke. The community would look at her as being unclean. She's destitute. She's segregated. And, and in her desperateness, she's, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, And by having her tell her story, Jesus validates her in the eyes of everyone. And then as Jesus tells her, you know, go in peace, daughter, your faith has made you whole. He turns back to go with Jairus, but some men are coming from from Jairus' house. And they say to him, they say, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. And the tears begin to flow from his eyes. And Jesus meets the desperation and the anguish with these words when he says to him, don't be afraid, only believe, and your daughter will be made well. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus responding to the desperate heart. Or then there's that man in Mark chapter 9, the man with the demon-possessed son, a desperate dad. Jesus is up on the mountain with uh, Peter, James, and John, the Mount of Transfiguration, and this man brings his son to the other disciples, but they can't do anything. 
son is just being ravaged by this demon. And so Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, hey, what's going on? And he says, you know, I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And, and you know, the, the demon, he gets him, he throws him into the fire. He tries to drown him in the water. And this son, desperate. And Jesus says to him, he says, just believe and your son will be made well. And I love this dad. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus says, unbelief? Sorry, pal. (laughs) Can't do anything for you. No, that's not what he did. He meets him right there. I mean, he just, you know, he's like, Lord, I, I believe, but I got some unbelief. You ever feel that way? I do. Those moments where, Lord, I believe, but oh, I got this unbelief. Or the story in Mark chapter 10. A blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. Every single day, this guy, this is his daily routine. He has some people help him out to this certain place in the road where he sits and he begs. He begs for alms. That's his livelihood. That's his life. Day after day, how much am I going to make today? And then one day he hears a great commotion of a great crowd. He can't see what's going on, but he hears it. And so he asks somebody, and he says, you know, hey, what is happening? What's going on? Say, oh, it's Jesus from Nazareth. He's never seen him, but he has heard of him. He's heard the stories. He's heard of the blind people he's healed and the lame that he's touched and the dead that he's raised. And this, this man, Bartimaeus, Mark chapter 10, begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, which was a, a phrase for the Messiah. It was as, 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 it was as if he was saying, Jesus, the Messiah, have mercy on me. The crowd tells him, Bartimaeus, be quiet. Jesus is too important. He doesn't have time for somebody like you. And so Bartimaeus shut his mouth and dropped his head. No, that's not what it says. It says he cried out even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. Because that's his heart. He responds to the desperate heart. And he calls Bartimaeus. And what's awesome, if you read the story, is it says that Bartimaeus took off his coat in coming to Jesus. He takes his coat off and he leaves it there. Why Why did he do that? I suggest to you this is why. In that day and age, it was not uncommon for a beggar to wear a certain kind of coat, especially a blind beggar, a coat that would have pockets on the inside where he could put you know, some of the things that he received where people wouldn't be able to, to get it. And so in, in, in other words, that coat represented Bartimaeus' identity. It's who he was. I mean, anybody going down the street, all they'd have to do is they would look and they would see that coat and they'd oh, there's Bartimaeus. He's out again today. And they would know. By taking off that coat, I think Bartimaeus was taking a step of faith. That he basically was saying in his heart, I'm not going to need this coat anymore because I know what's about to happen. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, what can I do for you? 
kind of an obvious question, right? When you're talking to a blind guy, what can I do for you? And Bartimaeus says, Rabboni, another very important part of that story. You see, most people refer to Jesus as rabbi, teacher. That's what that means, or master. Rabboni makes it personal. My teacher, my master, my Lord. He says, Rabboni, I wish to receive my sight. And Jesus touched him. And you know what? It doesn't say that he went back and picked up that coat. And I don't think he did. Because he didn't need it anymore. He was a new man. But again, another great example of how Jesus responds to the desperate heart, the heart that comes to that place of realizing that Jesus, I am nothing without you. Jesus, I'm lost without you. Jesus, I'm destitute. I'm broken. But you know what? That's such a great place to be because the Bible tells us, Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not turn away from. He loves it when we come to that place of being broken before him. Now, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Rob, I've definitely had those times where I've been desperate for the Lord. I've definitely had those times where I've I've felt lost. I've definitely had those times where it just seemed like everything in my life was going wrong and he was all that I I had. But, But maybe right now you're saying, my life's pretty good. Things are going well. Everybody's healthy, got a good job, some good friends, marriage is, you know, flowing, and, and you know, I'm, I'm just, I feel blessed, and maybe you just are in that place where you just, you don't, you don't feel desperate tonight. I understand that. But I want to suggest to you this. I think we should never lose that sense of desperateness, and here's Why? In the book of James, we're told that the Bible is like a mirror. What does a mirror do? It reflects, right? You look into a mirror and it reflects. You know, you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you go, man, I'm a wreck. (laughs) I need a shower, I need a shave, I need help, you know. (laughs) But when we look in the mirror of the Bible, the reflection that we see is Jesus. And we see ourselves standing next to him, if you would. We see ourselves in in light of him. And as we look in, in the mirror and we see Jesus, he's the perfect man. He's the guy that always responds in the right way. He always does that which is right. It said he always did that which pleased the father. Oh, I wish I could say that. Jesus is that perfect picture of love and grace flowing together. John said that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we look in the mirror of God's word, we see ourselves in in light of Christ, and we see that, man, we have a long way to go. And that should create within us a sense of desperateness. A sense of, oh, Lord, I need more of you in my life. We look at Calvary and we see the perfect man hanging there in the air, punished for a wrong that he did not commit. Punished for our wrongs and our sin. 
taking upon himself our punishment. We see him beaten and bloodied, humiliated by his enemies. And we know he has the power to consume them, to destroy them with one word if he wants to. He could reverse that whole scene. In a moment, it could be him off the cross and them on the cross if he wanted to do that, but he doesn't because of his love for us. Lost men and women separated from God because of our sin, he has come to restore us. And we are moved to think, have I ever known such love? Have I ever experienced that degree of love? Our hearts should break in, in, with a sense of desperation of how unlike him we really are. It's, it's Paul who would say of himself toward the end of his life that he was the chief of sinners. Crazy thing for the apostle Paul to say, right? Does that mean that Paul as a Christian just got worse and worse and worse and more you know, evil and depraved as he you know, walked with Jesus? No, it was the closer he got to Jesus, the more that Paul just saw how far away from him he really was. That heart should create within us a desperateness. One last thought. There was a time when God did not respond to the desperate heart. It happened in a garden. It was his son, Jesus, crying out, God, my father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to save man without going to the cross, without me being separated from you, let this cup pass. And guess what? God the father was silent. And then there upon Calvary, he hangs after he's been beaten and bloodied and humiliated. Six hours pass by as they taunt him and and he's been brutally beaten and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And once again, God does not respond. He doesn't respond to his son in those moments because his son was making a way for him to be able to respond to us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? God's heart is so much toward the desperate heart. And that was the thing that the Lord had placed upon my heart tonight was as we would gather here tonight that he wanted us just to be reminded of that. That our hearts should be in that place of just being desperate before him longing for him, crying out to him because he wants to meet us tonight. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 15, I love this. It says, when the king smiles, there is life and his favor refreshes like a spring rain. And God, the king, smiles tonight upon us as we gather here tonight. He smiles upon us as we come to him with hearts Just saying, Lord, I am desperate for you. So we want to take the rest of this night and respond to that word. To consider our hearts. To consider our need of him. And maybe some of you are in that place where, Lord, man, I am desperate for you. I am needy. Lord, you know my situation. And I want to encourage you as we sing, as we worship, cry out to him. Cry out to him. 
just lift up your voice and because God wants to meet you tonight. He wants to comfort your heart tonight. He's glad that you're here tonight. As we worship, there'll be some moments where we will pause and we're just going to wait upon the Lord. And it might be a great opportunity tonight for if God has maybe put a, a verse or a word or, or something on your heart that he just briefly wants you to share. I want to ask you, if you feel so led to feel free to stand and, and just say that loudly. Face you know, the direction of the audience that is, uh, you know, if you're sitting over here, don't face the wall, face this way. You know, if you're over here, same thing. And, and just so we can hear you because that's the point. We want to hear what God has put on your heart tonight. But let's respond to him, all right? I'm going to have Joe come back up and let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the picture that we see in your word over and over again of you responding in love and grace and power to the desperate heart. And Lord, as we gather in this place tonight, Lord, we want to just cry out to you in desperation. Lord, we know how much we need you and we want to just declare that this evening as we gather here tonight in this place. Receive now our hearts as we lift up our voices to you. In Jesus' name.